0: Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the ID podcast, where we discuss the stories of medicine and the people
1: behind them. My name's Naman. And I'm Gurinder. Now, when you go to the hospital, you might expect to get treated for whatever illness brought you in. You might receive a prescription, and you might even undergo surgery if you're a little bit more unlucky. But what if you need some extra support in your home once you leave the hospital? Or what if you just wish to access some more lifestyle services to help you maintain your health? Who's there to help you with that? Yeah, Gurinder, like. At the end of the day, medicine is just one facet within the umbrella
0: of healthcare, but healthcare is so multidimensional. We rely on many different allied healthcare workers, each one providing different expertise and taking on varied responsibilities within the realm of just trying to help patients get the best healthcare possible. Today, we'll be learning a lot more about one of these important workers, the social worker,
1: and what they do. Our very own Daniel and Mel were joined by Andrea Brody, a social worker in Toronto who works with geriatric populations. They asked Andrea questions like, where do different social workers work? How do they work with other healthcare providers? What is their role? And also, what does the day-to-day of a social worker look like? We learned
0: a lot from this episode and we hope that to our viewers, our listeners out there, you guys get the chance to learn a lot more about social work as well. And without further ado, here's Andrea, Daniel, and Mel in the virtual Zoom studio.
1: Enjoy.
2: All right. So hello, everyone. Uh, My name is Daniel.
3: And I'm Melanie.
2: And we are both um, medical students at McMaster who are involved in in, uh, the ID podcast. And we're very excited. Um, We are joined today over a Zoom call with Andrea Brody, who is a social worker who currently is working at Toronto Rehab um, for the geriatric population, but has also worked at Sunnybrook Hospital in Toronto in the past. So hi Andrea, welcome to the show.
4: Hi, how are you?
2: Very good, thanks.
4: Yeah, thank you
3: for joining us um, via this Zoom call, especially because we've been working really hard to try to get everything back to working.
4: No problem.
2: Okay, fantastic. So first, Andrea, could you please uh, tell us a bit about your background and how you got into uh, social work?
4: Wow. You know, I-, I grew up in a family where we talked about everything in our lives and we're very open, as I am with my own family. Um And whether or not that was personality or the fact that my dad was a psychiatrist, and so he was used to talking to patients about their current situations, I generally had a natural interest in going into a profession where I would be helping people and talking to people. I've always been very interested in what's going on in the world and how to help others who are struggling and felt very passionate about that. So... Uh, I don't think initially I considered social work, but uh, as I got through my undergraduate degree, I realized that made the most sense for what I wanted to do. Could you give us um, a broad overview of what social work is? So social work is really quite different depending on where you work. When I first started um, after my bachelor of social work, I worked in child protection and I worked with foster parents helping to take care of kids who are crown wards, um, having been removed from their families. So social workers can have so many different jobs. They can work in the criminal um, justice system. They can work in corporate um, wellness programs. They often work in hospitals. And even within hospitals, there's outpatient and inpatient type jobs. They can work in government. There's macro and micro-type positions where you're doing research and advocacy uh, and social justice. And then there's private practice working this, you know, the same as some psychologists um, also work in private practice and having a specific area that you specialize in. So it might be with a specific population, whether it's LGBTQ or addictions or mental health. It's a really broad field and it has many uh, different avenues for people to work in. So it really depends on where you are in your life and what interests you. And, you know, you can switch and get experience and, and try different areas as you go along. And I have done that myself. Um, so it's finding what works for you and maybe trying something different later on.
2: All right. So, Andrea, um so you talked. Uh, so I know that you worked in many different areas uh, when you worked at Sunnybrook. So could you please tell us a bit about what you did when you were working at Sunnybrook Hospital?
4: So I decided to go back to university in my mid forties. I, I don't necessarily recommend that, but I had meant to do my master's much earlier, and then I ended up working in Vancouver for a few years, getting pregnant and raising three children. So. Getting back to it in my mid-40s, I had always planned to, so I kept that promise. Uh, so my internship in my social work master's degree was at Sunnybrook, and my placement was split between uh, the stroke team and nephrology. So I spent half a year in each of those working with the supervising social worker. So I got uh, a varied level of experience right off the bat in the hospital, When they hired me after I graduated, I had wanted to stay working part-time just because I still had a very young child at home. So I got hired initially as a float, which in some ways was hard because you never get to really have connections with your team members in the way that you would like, because every few weeks I was moving to a different unit, wherever the need was. But I ended up working in trauma which I thought I wouldn't be able to handle, but in the end really liked. I worked in cardiology. I worked in oncology quite a bit uh, in three different oncology units at Sunnybrook. Um, And I worked in nephrology and actually went back there years later and worked in nephrology again uh, in the hemodialysis unit there. Um, And I worked in general medicine. So I pretty much had experience in a lot of the units at Sunnybrook. And it gave me a good sense of, you know, what I liked in acute care and what I found was not as much my interest um, and got a sense of the different systems. Every unit functioned quite differently and, and uh, how the team ran their daily operations varied from one unit to another.
2: So it's a good uh, overview. So that's really great that you were able to, Get that experience in so many different areas. I was wondering, maybe if you could just give us like a day in the life of, of what was your kind of role? Let's say in the oncology unit, or if you want to pick a different unit, uh, just to get an idea of of kind of what you kind of did when you were working at the unit as a social worker.
4: Sure. So oncology, I probably worked in the most when I was afloat. Um, it it was a challenging unit. We had uh, I think there was five doctors, some of them hospitalists, I don't think any of them were oncologists. But the unit was ran by two physician assistants, about five doctors, uh, and then the allied health and the nursing. So it was a big team. Um, we met every morning for rounds. And I know in some hospitals, they don't do it daily. But in oncology, we met every morning for rounds, and we'd go through our entire patient list and talk about where we were at in terms of care and next steps. And the doctors would brainstorm with each other about what was working and what wasn't and what consultations might be needed. Um, So that happened every morning. It was a very close knit team. You were constantly relying on each other to bounce ideas off of, to share new insights and different things going on. So social work role in that team was very active. I was in charge of helping families and the patients in understanding and coping with their situation and their illness and next steps. And some of them were going home to continue their treatment. And some of them were so sick that the next step was uh, either home palliative care or in hospital palliative care. I had a lot of referrals that I had to do as a social worker there. So whether it was filling out the palliative care applications to our own Sunnybrook palliative care team, uh, whether or not it was applying to Temi Latner for outpatient supports for people who lived in the city of Toronto, you know, getting help with rides, meals, speaking to the Lynn about getting um, personal support workers and, and advocating for more hours for patients who really didn't have a lot of support or finances to help pay for extra help. So the social work role um, really navigated complex systems in oncology uh, with a very emotional um, situation. And so it was helping to bridge everything between the teams and the family and patients and, uh, and plan next steps for patients, hopefully discharging to other places and helping navigate that and helping with uh, their coping and giving them information to make them feel more in control. So it sounds like as a float, you were really able to get a lot of insight into
3: various different aspects of the hospital and interact with a wide variety of patient populations. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very curious about how it was, what it was like to work with such a diverse set of people. And if you have any insight on different types of social work that might take place at different locations and with other populations, like maybe in a school setting?
4: Yeah, I mean, I have friends who've worked in a school setting, and I considered it at one time. I don't know. I mean, my children have gone through public school in Toronto. And I know that the social workers come into the schools and deal with crisis management, uh, with families and kids who are are struggling, but I don't have my own knowledge of that experience. I dealt with social workers in the school level when I worked in children's aid, but that wasn't the kind of work I did. But, you know, every place you work, it's very different. Social workers may play a a lead role in some areas. And in other areas, there's power differentials, and they are not considered the experts and have to rely on other people to help in decision making. So it really depends on where you're working. The social work role is so varied for the most part I think social workers are completely a valued part of any team um, but with cutbacks and other things that have taken place sometimes there aren't enough social workers and so um, the levels of care you can provide aren't as high as they might have once been.
2: So that's unfortunate if you know there isn't enough social work for different areas just another question more about um, kind of what you did when you were working in the hospital. So you, you talked about how you would um, counsel with patients. Was that ever, you know, difficult? Like what would you kind of be talking to patients about? How would you go about having those difficult conversations? With, so of course with it was patients?
4: initially quite scary. Um, and as I got used to having some of those more difficult conversations, it got a little easier. But it's always a, a discomforting sort of situation to go and and talk to, for example, a very young patient about their terminal cancer diagnosis. And of course, I was never giving the diagnosis; that was the doctor's job. But I may have been one of the next people they saw after getting that diagnosis, and so I was there to help with coping with you know what they wanted what was their advanced care it you know wishes um what were their hopes what type of treatment would they be open to and and what might they not want and also being just a very good active listener if they just wanted to talk uh, and share how they were feeling and sometimes they'd want social work to be the go-between between between themselves and family i also played a role of being the go-between between Doctors and the team uh, trying to help relay information that they felt maybe wasn't getting across or they had questions. So, depending on the type of patient, I may have seen them quite a bit. And, you know, really my goal was to try and help them figure out next steps and to cope with the current situation. And that, you know, could take place by doing psychosocial assessments and really getting a sense of who they are in their environment. Conducting family meetings where the discussion would be with the medical team, the social worker would run that meeting, but the doctors would be there. Sometimes the consultant doctors would be there. The nurses may attend. Some of the other allied health would be there. And it was discussing this is where we are. This is where we see next steps are. And this is, you know, our plans and having the family put their input and the patient if they were able to attend obviously wanting them to attend, but for their input as well. So the social work plays a role of tying everything together and helping to plan and helping to also provide support and counseling. So it's a big role.
3: So it sounds like social workers play a big role as part of a medical team or um, they tend to work closely with some other type of allied health. And I was wondering if you had any insights on what it's like to work as a social worker with um, various other healthcare providers, some of the highlights maybe and some of the challenges as well.
4: I guess I've been fairly fortunate. I haven't felt like I've had a a lot of challenges working with other professionals. I've worked with a great group of people. Everyone's been so respectful of each other's role and we all come with our own world experience, our own set of ethics from our profession, our own values. So it's learning to understand each other's role and, you know, asking for help where you need it. Um, I've loved working with allied health and with uh, doctors and nurses, and it's really knowing and getting to know where people's expertise was and having those groups come together so that it's a really strong plan for the patient moving forward. I've had great experiences with allied health um and with the doctors and the nurses, so I feel fortunate that way. But it's definitely a very multidisciplinary thing when you're in acute care. Um, my current role is a little less so. I only work with doctors and I kind of miss some of that camaraderie and that expertise that I was able to pull in from uh in working with physiotherapists and occupational therapists and dietitians and speech language, all those people who brought their own wealth of info. I don't have that as much uh, now, and I I definitely think in outpatient clinics, it would be helpful to have a bigger team, but I I guess it's not considered primary focus.
3: So going off of that, if there is any, I guess, like insight that you've gotten as a social worker that you would like to be able to convey to your allied health professionals, so maybe the physicians that you work so closely with, um, whether there is something that you see into the lives of a patient that they don't really get to see.
4: Uh, in my current role as an outpatient, uh, geriatric social worker, you know, the physicians do more of the in-clinic visits and, and I've advocated for social work to do more of the psychosocial assessments, but I haven't gotten to do as many as I, I used to do. So most of my work with patients, some of it's in person, but most of it's over the phone. And especially now with the current situation, it's all over the phone. I would love to see a more active role for social work in terms of in clinic work. Again, there's so many reasons why it doesn't always happen. Whether it's a lack of rooms, it's uh, timelines being met. You know, with patient caseloads for whatever it is. It, you know, it's a different situation than acute care. And I've spent more years in acute care, so I guess I was used to being part of that allied team. I still managed to bring in. Um, that by pulling in community resources and and borrowing from their wealth of information and their interactions and experiences with patients and family members, it's just, it's a more over the phone type of work as opposed to having a team right there on the premises with you that you can share little tidbits that you may have learned or ask questions. I don't have quite that luxury of that anymore.
2: So... I'm very interested to hear more about what you are currently doing, and it sounds like uh, more responsibility now that you aren't working with so many other of the healthcare um, team members uh, in your current role. I know that you currently work at Toronto Rehab with the geriatric population, so I was wondering what kinds of issues do you often see with that population, and what are you often doing when you work with that population?
4: So the population we generally see in our outpatient clinic is frail seniors with multiple comorbidities, seniors being sent for cognitive testing for what is perceived to likely be um, some sort of cognitive impairment that may be happening. Um, So we're often consulted by family doctors to see patients. My role may be You know, we often ask the patients to come in with a family member or a friend if they can. So my role is working with the patient and their family member um, as much as possible, seeing how their home life is, what are their main concerns, what are their difficulties and challenges, um, where they, you know, perceive that they may, you know, need some support and trying to pull in those appropriate systems into place to provide them as good a situation as they can. So pulling from a multitude of different resources and government programs. So whether I see them in person or I get the referral afterwards by email or phone call, I generally reach out to patient and families and their powers of attorney and whoever they want me to speak to. And and we sort of get a sense of where are you at? What are your difficulties? How can I help? And it may be just sitting on the phone and having a friendly support conversation, or it may be this person's really struggling going back to the doctors and saying, okay, this is what I found out. I'm thinking that we should try and get more support in the home or refer this patient to a day program because there's caregiver challenges and um, there isn't enough respite available for the caregivers. So different challenges that we try and work out together in terms of how to support this person while they remain in the community.
3: So in general, I'm wondering what are some of the main challenges and some of the main highlights about being a geriatrics social worker compared to any other types that you've had experiences in so far?
4: Well, not to get political, (laughs) but maybe a little. I guess some of the challenges, and I, I, I think we're seeing some of this in the current situation, is There isn't as much funding in geriatrics as I would like to see in terms of supports available to the community. So I do have quite a few patients who are really struggling to manage at home. And if they don't have a lot of family or friends support and they don't have the finances to pay for some support, there's a real gap in terms of how they manage and how they could be much more safely and happily um, in their homes. We don't have enough long-term care beds. And of course, a lot of patients don't choose that as their uh, option as well. But uh, for those who do, who sit on wait lists of multiple years, that's a problem because there are a lot of people who cannot afford help and really need to get hourly care and are really living at risk in the community. So I would love to see a lot more support programs uh, and money flowing into geriatric supports.
2: Well, I hope that you know, as our population gets older, that the government definitely devotes more resources to that area. Um, so thank you for bringing those needs to our attention. You mentioned earlier that you did some psychiatric consultations, or maybe I'm misremembering what you said. But can you tell us a bit about what that looks like in your, in your current role?
4: So in my current role, I don't do anything that would be deemed a psychiatric consultation. Um, what I have done and did in acute care quite a bit are psychosocial assessments.
2: Oh, that's what I meant. Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
4: So in my current role, I don't do that as much. Uh, The geriatricians and psychiatrists I work with do it as part of their own practice, whereas in the acute care hospitals, it really is something the social workers do and the OTs do. So in my current um, clinic, the um, psychiatrists and geriatricians will do their own cognitive testing, um, whether it's the Montreal Cognitive Assessment or the RUDIS or Different cognitive assessment tests. Uh, In the acute care hospitals, that work is often done by occupational therapists and um, social workers. So, some of that's done um, that is no longer done by social workers in the outpatient clinic. But, you know, in a psychosocial assessment, you're trying to get a sense of who are the people, the main contacts in their life, how were they managing before. What do their financial situation look like? What is their level of education? What, you know, do they live in a two-story home or a, an apartment or do they not have a home whatsoever? So it's trying to get a sense of the patient within their social framework and figure out what areas might need supports, finding out what they, you know what supports they had in place before. So trying to get a sense of what they have, what they may need going forward, are they going home at the same baseline that they came in at, or are they going home where they're going to need a lot more care in the community? So there's sort of a series of questions you ask as part of a psychosocial assessment. Mm-hmm. And you, know, you try to do most of that with the patient, but in some situations where the patient's not well enough and is given consent, you may do that with family members, with their powers of attorney, trying to get a full picture of who this person is in order to plan as best you can for them uh, in their recovery.
3: So it sounds like the role of a social worker is quite dynamic. I am wondering if you have any advice that you would like to give our viewers who might, or our listeners who might be contemplating about a career in social work or maybe are in the middle of getting a degree right now.
4: Uh, Well, I think it's a great profession. As I said at the beginning, uh, there's so many different areas to work in. And it's really finding, you know, your area of interest. And, you know, social work students are asked to pick sort of micro or macro and trying to figure out, do I want to work in a clinical area or do I want to work in social justice and research and government programs? There's so much out there. Um, So, you know, starting in one area and moving to something entirely different within the field of social work is so possible. And I guess that's a real... To me, that's a, a wonderful thing to have that many options to try different um, types of support and helping. I've really enjoyed it.
2: Well, we really enjoyed this conversation with you, Andrea. Um, thank you so much for joining us. I guess one final question is, what, what kind of motivates you um, in your work, in your life? Are there any words of wisdom that you like to live by or any, anything like that?
4: motivation for me is helping others. I think I get so much out of that. And seeing that I've helped someone makes me feel so good. So I really believe strongly in giving back and being part of a bigger system and um, not living in my own little bubble. So for me, it's just so intrinsically rewarding to be part of a profession where we are helping others every day and whether or not we get a thank you or not, that really isn't, you know, the focus it's knowing that you're doing as much as you can, given the scope of what's available to you to really make people's lives better. And I'm thrilled with that. That alone is what drives me. I also try and instill humor in everything I do. Um, So, if, if at all possible, I try to you know bring light to things when, when the opportunity comes because I think we all need a good laugh and um, obviously appropriately, but we all need a good laugh. And uh, so I live by humor where I can.
3: Well, that sounds like a great attitude to have um, when you're in this line of work. Thank you so much for coming on the show and thank you for giving us all of um, the insight that you've provided us. I've definitely learned a lot about social work and how dynamic it is um and thank you for all the work that you do and to all the social workers out there too
4: well thank you so much i've enjoyed this
1: that was a really really interesting discussion i definitely took a lot away and i'm a lot more informed about social work now than i was before so thank you to daniel and mel and a big thank you to andrea brody
0: yeah, absolutely, Grinder. I found it really interesting to hear about how dynamic social work is and the fact that the nature of social work really depends on which population you're working with, the environment you're in, and which other healthcare team members you work with. Uh, was there something about social work like that really stood out to you there, Grinder?
1: Yeah, I think you definitely nailed it in the fact that the breadth of social work is so wide um, and the, the amount of roles that they kind of fill really does vary depending on where you end up working in which domain and which patient population work most closely with. Um, but I do have a personal experience around social work that really taught me the importance of its role. And it was the first real introduction I had to the idea of social work. And without giving up too much information, uh, somebody in my life uh, suffered a stroke a couple of years ago. And this person had no other family in the country. Um, and they had a bit of a language barrier. English was their second language. So um, it, it kind of communicating with the doctors and making sure they understood everything about the diagnosis was a bit of a challenge. And so social work in Hamilton did their very best to connect us with all the resources possible to help our friend out and make sure that their family abroad was also aware of the diagnosis, aware of how the patient was doing and really made sure that the process was as smooth as possible. And so the patient could focus on recovering and not having to worry about where, what's gonna happen with my school grades, what's gonna happen with these assignments that are due, what's going to happen with rent, et cetera, et cetera. So just having someone behind you to make sure that everything else is taken care of and you can really focus on getting better um, was huge. So I have a very deep uh, appreciation for everyone who's uh, working in social work right now.
0: Yeah. And I think that story really highlights it. And I just want to say, I'm glad that this friend of yours, hopefully they're doing better and that social worker was there for them. Um, Just highlights all the different hats that a social worker wears, whether it's kind of the psychosocial aspect, the financial aspect, the kind of logistics of transport. Um, I think uh, Andrea's story about the oncology social worker and how like the situations are always changing and being malleable to that uh, environment, working in a geriatric population where every day like new challenges present themselves. Um, I think that what it really, and unfortunately the reality and something that she was pretty candid about sharing was that the funding is not always there for social workers uh, and with the aging population in Canada, especially geriatric social work really struggles to keep up with the workload and ensure that the other aspects of patient health uh, and management are able to be handled. So hopefully, hopefully the government can recognize as the population ages, we can invest more in protecting our elderly population and supporting social workers and other allied healthcare workers in
1: the many roles that they play in ensuring patient wellness. Definitely. So once again, a big thank you to Andrea Brody for joining us in studio virtually, and also a big thank you to Daniel Mel for conducting the interview. Uh, so this is the point of the show where we usually do a quick fact check. So we'd like to go back to some of the things discussed in the interview. At one point, Andrea mentioned something called a LIN or an L-H-I-N. For our listeners who don't know, LIN stands for Local Health Integration Network. These are the health authorities responsible for regional administration of public health care services in Ontario. Yeah, thanks. So that's, it's important.
0: We should uh, ensure that any acronyms being used are defined, and I'm glad that she brought that up. So working with the LIN, I think that's where the social worker might help get PSW or personal support server work, uh, services, et cetera, home care for patients that might need it. And with that, uh, I would like to thank you all for joining us today and thank you to all the social workers who contribute so much to the healthcare environment. If there's another type of healthcare worker you'd like us to interview next, send us a message or tweet at us. We're excited to explore more healthcare roles in the future.
1: Also, a big thank you to the team without whom this episode would not be possible. A big thank you to Daniel Borens and Melanie Zhang for interviewing Andrea, as well as Prasitha, Partha Sarathi, Lucy Len for helping them create the episode. Finally, we'd like to say thank you to the rest of the team, Mike G, Omri Natramani, and Isabella Stefanova on music and editing. Thank you for tuning in to the ID podcast. Where listening is the best medicine. Stay safe, everyone.